Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You won with Mr. Robert Charles, who pulled up on my phone, author of Eagles and Evergreens. The story, oh, come on, focus, focus. It'll be in the description and the top comment. It will be the thumbnail. Mr. Charles, who grew up in Maine, it's the story of, it's a lot of vignettes of what it's like to, it's a unique take on things, because instead of just, here are World War II heroes and their stories, it's it's one thing I've always pointed to about, like, why I thought America boomed after 45, and it's granted, you know, the main reason being we're the only superpower, like, that's a given, but I always thought, like, I think there had to have something to do with these men coming back from being slaughtered on the beaches in the South Pacific and in the European theaters. My take on it always was, is when you come back to America, building a Fortune 500 company probably feels like a walk in the park, right? And it's, that was my mindset was like, and that's what led into like the boom of like the 50s, the 60s, and then raising the baby boomer generation and kind of distilling down to my generation. But that's kind of an opinion I've held for years is like, Aside from the geopolitical balance, obviously super complex, but I've always thought that. And your book is the first to go into, you know, not necessarily the or excluded to the heroic stories of what they did, but kind of what it's like to grow up around them. And yeah, for everyone listening, give them a real quick introduction to yourself. You've been on here before, but for all the new listeners, no, I'm I'm grateful for it. And uh, so I'm, I'm, you know, one of the lucky lucky Americans. We're all luckier, I think, and and have a lot more to be grateful for than we often uh, think about, even in these times that are uncertain. And I I grew up, I was lucky because I grew up in a small town, as you so perfectly described, under the influence of these World War II vets and also some Korean War vets who uh, greatly valued all of those rights that are in the Bill of Rights, but they also, obviously they valued them, they had gone away and fought for them, uh, but they also came back and they uh, they valued them, I, I would say, twice as much when they returned. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they did a, a number of things on their return that we so easily forget, and yet we should not forget because they really are timeless. The way that they operated on coming back is sort of an inspiration to us now <clears throat> that we can pick up that mantle and carry forward. So just a short, uh, you know, kind of this is the book itself, uh, Eagles and Evergreens. And, uh, you know, it, it was written in 2018. It's a, it's a great volume if you're having a hard time falling asleep. But uh, it's oh, also nonsense. A, nonsense. <laughs> it's a great volume, really, because it's about positive stories yeah. that describe two things, as you so well said. One is profiles of vets who did really what they didn't think were very extraordinary things, but what I, on reflection, thought were really extraordinary things. And then on the flip side, it is the flowdown, I like that phrase, the flowdown of their values and their commitment to a small town, which then infused all of us growing up around them with certain key 
uh, attributes. One is that you don't give up easily. Another is that hard work, good work, uh, good work is good for the soul, and and you're lucky to have work. Yeah. And you should be, you should, you should, you know, rise to that challenge. Some of them ended up being farmers. Some of them were con- uh, contractors who built houses. Uh, and I can go through stories because they're really extraordinary little stories uh, that turn into uh, life changing stories for a lot of us. Uh, but they also they also had an enormous uh, respect for this country at, at its heart. Uh, and I think that, in many ways, is what makes the book timely here in 2020. Like Ronald Reagan, uh, many of them lived through a situation where uh, those those values were put to the test personally with them. And as a society, uh, Western values were, were confronted directly, uh, both by communism and by fascism. And they uh, they rose it at every turn uh, to confront those that would take those those rights away. And I think that's uh, that's really an important lesson for us right now. So just to take you sort of through the book in a sure. in a in a more leisurely way, just a few stories. And I and I guess they don't come in the particular order that I in the book. They come in 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 an order that sort of cross references things I'm doing in life together with things they're doing. But, uh, you know, some of these guys were just unbelievable. One guy that is central in the book is a guy named Richard Lincoln. Mm-hmm. So here's a guy that stands maybe five, 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 six. He's the youngest of four brothers. And uh, one of his brothers, Tink Lincoln, will spend the rest of his life being uh, the postmaster in town, 40 years. Incidentally, the same amount of time that his father was the postmaster in town to show you how small this little town in yeah. Maine is. Uh, so there are four brothers. Rich goes away. He knows nothing about war. Um, there's some pictures in the book of him as a, as a child and a young man. And, and you can tell, you know, just from the way he holds himself, he knows nothing about fighting yeah. a war. Yeah. And he ends up uh, in a number of places. He first ends up in North Africa. But the real stories relate to him in Italy. Uh, somehow the designator that he ends up with is as a first scout. So as a first scout, he's with the 188th Infantry Division. Uh, which happens to see a lot of action. Uh, he's over there for more than a year. He's put in um, in the south and comes north through a number of battles, including Casino, uh, ends up uh, peripherally at Anzio on it turns the age of 19 uh, when they when they rescue Rome on into Florence. But the key thing is he was a first scout. So his chances of living, if you read the history books, not only about the 188th, but uh, which they called the Blue Devils because the Germans said they fought like devils and they happened to have a blue patch on their shoulders. So they became known as the Blue Devils. But they, they were unique for a number of reasons. First of all, they were a draftee division. So there was the very, that was one of the very first draftee divisions they put in. They didn't know if they could fight. Turns out they could fight very well. They liberated, uh, they liberated. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Rome on June 4th, 1944. Uh, Pause there for just a moment because June 4th, of course, is two days before. D-Day. D-Day, June 6th. And I have to believe, you know, the three big capitals, of course, were Rome, Berlin, and Tokyo that we were fighting against. It had to have bucked up at least the officer corps, if not everyone, two days before they'd go in. Yeah. To Normandy, knowing that they've taken Rome. Yeah. So, um, 
again, an extraordinary personal story because he has lots of small stories that relate to this time of service. But the bigger story is as a first scout, his job every night is to crawl to the front lines and to uh, put up these small flares that are green and then they come down as little parachutes and they light up German positions so that our artillery can hit them. Of course, they also light up the first scouts. Position, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, Richie, if you can believe this, I talked with him in his 90s. I knew him all his life and uh, all my life, really not all his life. Uh, but uh, he never talked about that experience ever in his uh, all those years. He, he had a couple little uh, stories he would tell that were sort of what I'll call toss off stories, you know, getting caught in a in a uh, in a uh, under a road hiding from the Germans sure. at one point. Little stories. But it turns out that when he got into his 90s, um, I think it was cathartic. Uh, we, we were just talking and I asked him about his youth and all of a sudden this stuff starts pouring out. And in many ways, he was the inspiration for writing a lot of this because it reminded me or for the first time taught me that these people that I spent all my time around, these veterans actually had a lot to say that they had not said. And in many ways, uh, it was it, it was to save us. You know, people say, well, they, they didn't talk about it because they didn't... Uh, they they couldn't bear to talk about it. Actually, it's not true. I think the reason they didn't talk about it was twofold. One, if you've gone through a horrific experience, you know maybe you uh, don't you know maybe you were in an automobile accident or something, yeah. right? Uh, you don't get together with everybody and talk about the automobile accident. Yeah, it's it's not in the way you think about things. So the second part of it was I think they really meant to protect their families and and those young people like me around town there was no sense that those memories and the things that had happened to them absolutely burdened them he had night sweats he had uh but there was no sense as he told me in sharing those events with his wife or kids uh because it would only burden them and so that's the first lesson i took away the second was that these guys were far more heroic than they gave themselves credit for um and i stay heroic because i think i can afford to say that I, i look at them objectively uh, this guy every night did that. And every day, a first scout, uh, one of their jobs was to come to the front of the line, maybe 25 yards ahead, and uh, rifles up to be able to hold and get at the machine gun nests, which were putting the rest of the unit at risk or the company at risk. And so that was their job in the day. And then by night, uh, they crawled to the front lines. And he said, as he recounts in the book, you know, you ran as fast as you could run, you hid behind pebbles, rocks, trees. There were shots around you all the time. Incredibly, over that course of time, although he had the Bronze Star and some other awards, uh, he was never hit, which is stunning. Uh, he was out there every night, and uh, but he attributes it to being uh, only five foot five or six, and so he felt that he had a special option there. Yeah. Kind of got right. Uh, others, you know, so he was just someone that was in town that I knew well, and again, a town of five hundred people, you know everybody well. You see him yeah. in the general store, you see him everywhere. And then it came to those that taught me, which were literally teachers. Uh, one of those teachers was uh, was a, a guy who had uh, uh, had six kids, mm-hmm. and uh, he ended up with uh, he taught English, 
and he had uh, he had been on the beaches of Normandy on the first day, promoted to captain on the beach, uh, worked with uh, generals like Taylor and Timberlake, ended up being one of the one of the officers, and he was an officer who uh, who ended up after after they got inland, was sent on a recon mission. Uh, there were three officers sent in different directions for a recon mission middle of the war because they pre before Bastogne, if you've seen uh you know if you've seen band of brothers the the battle that occurred there the battle of the bulge before that there were general officers who said and there were and 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 a number of men who said something is not right the germans are are back on their heels but they keep probing our lines and they're probing in different places why are they doing that and so uh he was sent Doug Stevenson was sent out in a Jeep uh, in one direction. Two officers were sent in a different direction. And it turned out, as he described it on film uh, to one of his grandchildren, um, that he came over a rise and and saw just a a, a phalanx of of tiger tanks. And so they began, and and of course he then returned with that intelligence. He ended up winning the Silver Star and I think the... uh, Croix de Guerre with a Silver Star, which is the highest division level award in France, uh, but very heroic, but never talked about it. In fact, did not talk about it with his uh, family, uh, didn't talk about it with anyone until the very, uh, toward the very end of his life. Interestingly, his wife, who, who lived to 103, I think, uh, Priscilla, her brother, um, you know, the entire band of brothers series was built around really a, a winner of the Distinguished Service Cross. Her brother, uh, Ford, won, Joseph Ford Berry, uh, won the Distinguished Service Cross in Sicily. Mm-hmm. Um, he died in Sicily. But one of the things that he did, uh, which was really remarkable, is when they were in a retreat environment and German tanks were coming in in large numbers, he, uh, and the citation is clear, and there were those who were eyewitnesses there, he ran across an open field to get the last remaining uh, anti-tank weapon and he turned it on those tanks which caused of course the tanks to turn on him yeah which allowed his company uh to get away and uh he stayed with that until they killed him so he was really heroic in the most uh remarkable i I think honest sense of that word um and then there were others in the town uh you know my another english teacher uh who again did not think that he'd done anything special was at Iwo Jima. He said, you know, I was in the second or third wave, so, you know, somehow that didn't count. Uh, yeah, yeah. For him. Um, and he was also at Okinawa. And, you know, he, he, he educated me in a lot of ways. First of all, he was an English teacher. But there were two things about him that step out in the book that are really quite remarkable. One is that uh, he had what uh, the, the chapter on him is called depth perception. Because back in the days before they had um, really a good way to target they would use viewfinders that in a sense uh, required someone with a, a really really good eyesight to identify out how far the target was mm-hmm. so that they could then align the big guns that was particularly true on the battleships and he trained on one of the battleships even though he later uh, ended up in a smaller ship but uh, so the bottom line was he could look out you know uh, 1500 1600 1700 yards uh, maybe a mile in rough distance and make a, a, a very educated guess as to how exactly how far that was out. So in his 90s, and I think I talked with him at 92, he's still alive. I, I uh, His name is Lincoln Ladd. I said, you know, sir, 
how, how did you do that? And he said, well, first of all, it was a lucky thing for me that I had that. I didn't know I had it. I got into training and they separated me and one other person out because of our eyesight. And the rest of that unit actually went to a ship that got sunk and most of them died. So he said, that was a lucky first step. He yeah. said, I'd like to think that my eyesight saved me that time. Yeah. Uh, but he said, you know, it's just something that I was born with and I didn't really know I had. And he then rose to levels of responsibility in the, uh, in the Navy, he actually was uh, uh, started out not being an officer, came back, got his college degree later, actually uh, even studied for a PhD. Uh, but he, uh, but in that time frame, uh, this eyesight was really a significant, a significant asset for the Allies. So sitting with him in his 90s, I said to him, so can you still do this? And he said, yes, I can. And I said, can you give me, I don't know, an example? Yeah. So he looked across the room and I had given him a little pen, uh, maybe something like this. And it was sitting 15 feet away. And he said, well, uh, that pen was made in China. And I said, how do you know that? And he said, well, if you, if you were, if you look at it, you'll see that on one side, so you got a pen that's about this size and it had a little clip on it. And on one side of the clip, it said made in. And on the other side, it said China. And he said, I, I, I'd given these pens away for years. I never saw that. It was ingrained in the metal. Jeez. I, I went over, I picked up the pen, I looked at it. I said, I can't. you can still do it. That's extraordinary. Uh, so Shit. we had, but he, I never knew that about him either. Interestingly, most of these guys did not know things about each other. Yeah. And that is another piece that's really significant. There were other veterans in town who did extraordinary things. And there were Korean War veterans who are also written up in the book that did extraordinary things. And so the epiphany, my first sort of, of three or four epiphanies, my first one was, this is incredible. Multiple civil star winners, multiple bronze star winners, a distinguished service cross winner, all in a little town of 570 people in rural Maine. How how could I not have known this, known this for starters? And then knowing it now, how remarkable, how miraculous that They're the one, one town, town in the world that, I, that had all these special people in it, I was in. And then I began to think about it again, and I realized, well, first of all, these guys in all of these towns all over the country don't talk about it, nor in cities. They did not talk about it much, uh, whether they were in aviation or, or anything else, uh, infantry or anything. They just they didn't talk about it. And then I began to realize, no, this town is unique, but it's not the only town like this. Yeah. Uh, there are towns like this all over the state of Maine. Yeah. And then it sort of swept me, no, 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 no. There are towns like this, neighborhoods in cities like this, with these really special heroes all over the United States. And I started going to veterans' homes and talking to more of them and coming to the conclusion that this is one of the most prized, wonderful blessings we have in our midst, that, that we live in a generation, a time when these guys were still alive. And, and they are and still alive. Still are. Yeah. And that, was, that also goes, by, by the way, I would say for the, the heroic nature of the Korean War vets and, and, of course, the Vietnam War vets as well. You know, one of, my, one of my history teachers, a story that isn't in this book but will be in the next book, um, it, it's coming, uh, is a story about a Vietnam vet uh, who was my history teacher. And his name is Dave Cook. He lives not in this town but in the town that's just next door. And uh, when he was in high school, he wanted to be a history teacher. 
even back in high school. And he had read a lot of the classics back then. And the Vietnam War came along, and unlike most people, he volunteered. And he stepped up, not with a Yahoo attitude, but more with a, well, this is what it's about. You know, when the calling comes, Mm -hmm. uh, that's what I'm, I have to do my part to be equal to my time. And so he went over there. He's in the 101st Airborne Division. Every opportunity that he had to get to the front lines, he was on the front lines. And uh, two stories just rung out with extraordinary um, impact on me. The first was that his uh, unit which was heavily hit in a number of cases. And he tells stories about uh, just surviving by some miracle, which is the same way Richie Lincoln described surviving, the same way a lot of these guys described surviving. It was a miracle that they got home. Um, he says that uh, on the last day of his tour over there, where he again had volunteered to the front lines, uh, he and another guy were taking a hill um, and he, the names are all all there. but. Uh, and a grenade came over the top of the hill and landed between them. And they sort of had a moment of looking at each other and he picked it up and threw it uh, and it went off. But, you know, he said it, it, uh, it it could have been the end right there on the last day of my tour. Uh, The second story that really struck me was the level of camaraderie, the willingness to uh, risk your life for the guy beside you. Uh, the willingness, not only for your country, and they all did love their country. There's not a one of those vets that thought they were special, but there's not a one of them that didn't love their country and put their life right on the front for for their country. But uh, when he got back, uh, he felt that there was not a resource for these Vietnam vets in his unit to uh, a way for them to communicate with each other. And so by the time uh, they were all back, the ones that did come home, Uh, There were several thousand in his named unit. And so he started a newsletter. Now, there wasn't a computer. There weren't computers. There wasn't email. He started a newsletter, and he has uh, run it ever since uh, for that particular group of Vietnam vets. And I asked him, so tell me, what what do you think that did for you? What What did it do for them? And he said, well, let me just tell you a couple simple little stories. And the one that stuck with me most uh, sort of profoundly was he said, I I got a call from a guy at one point who said, uh, I'm looking for a vet named John. And so Dave, Dave Cook said, well, John who? Mm. He said, I don't know, just John. And so a story unfolded around this veteran named John, who this other veteran was looking for. And the story goes like this. They were in the middle of a firefight, a very uh, difficult firefight. And again, the names are all laid out. And uh, this particular vet, a particular vet, was coming across an open field and found a medic uh, with four guys on the ground beside him. He was working on three of them. And the fourth one he had put to the side and was not working on. And so the guy that had stumbled onto the medic and the four badly injured Uh, other vets said why is this guy just why why no nothing for him he said he's completely bled out he's gone he said I've got to save the three that I can save and uh, so he looked at the fourth the fourth uh, American veteran there and he he said what do you mean he's bled out he said he's completely white there are no veins he's gone so his heart was still working and so this guy that had stumbled on the medic said so if I can find a vein, can you get plasma 
in him. He said, you find a vein, I'll put plasma in him, but there are no veins to find. And so he worked, he looked and he looked and he looked and eventually he found a vein, a very small vein in his ankle. And so the medic did turn and put plasma in him. And as my, my old teacher, Dave Cook said, uh, got him going again. And uh, now, 30 years later, the guy who recovered and shouldn't have was looking for the only guy, for the guy that had saved him. The only thing he knew was his name was John. And Dave put the two of them together. Jesus. So these guys have stories to tell that make life deep. They cause us to stop and think about what's worth doing and what's not. Cause us to think about why it's worth speaking up for rights and the Bill of Rights that are under under pressure now, right whether now. it's free speech or freedom of worship or self-defense. or. Yeah. And I think one of the most beautiful things about this book, again, Eagles and Evergreens, the reason that it got so well reviewed and the reason, and by the way, from the, from, from everyone from, you know, it's got endorsements from, you know, Bill Cohen, former oh, secretary. Yeah. Defense oh, it's got, it's got, stuff. Yeah, I have a lot of authors on here for everyone listening. This yeah. isn't just another author I'm having on. This book has been highly endorsed and it's fantastic. It's, will be yeah, in the description in the top comment. It's, it's good. And the beautiful part about it is that if you read these stories, you appreciate America. Yes. You appreciate these men. But then the flow down is that a lot of these stories are things that were sort of uh, tales of adventure, tales of uh, of uh, getting out of scrapes yeah, that, that yeah. the kids growing up around them sort of took from them. And so it, the beautiful part is that it, to me it's a celebration of America. Yeah. And I think that if we care about the future and we care about what is expected of us now, it doesn't just mean as veterans, only about 7% of the country are veterans, but it does mean that we appreciate what has happened around us and before us, then yes. we should be studying the past. Yes. And one of the things I would recommend to every teacher, it makes a great teaching volume. There's nothing profane in it. There's nothing it's, you shouldn't. It's I mean, as clean as you can here. get. It's as clean as you can get. <laughs> Almost. It's as PG yeah, as you uh, can get for a book about World War or about right. World War II veterans. It's about as clean as you can get. That's right. And but the, but the piece that I I think it reminds us is that these men and women, and there were women too over there taught us a lot about what it means to live life, both both in terms of the sacrifices they stood up for and made over there, but on their return here, what it means to be self-contained, what it means to be self-disciplined, yeah. what it means to be self-reliant, yeah. what it means to help others. And I, I would recommend, you know, simple recommendation for teachers, whether it's high school level or college level or beyond. Uh, is take a look at a book like this, maybe not this one, but take a look at this book if, if you have a chance and see if it doesn't have stories that you could use in your classroom. And then the second big piece of it is, and I've always believed we should be doing this and we don't, I did teach for a little while. Um, I think you should take a, a class through uh, a military cemetery. It doesn't have to be Arlington, but walk through those gravestones with in your mind's eye, the stories of where, by the dates on those stones and by the places where these men served yeah. and think for a little bit about what they handed on to you. Yeah. They handed on to you uh, the gift in many cases of their own lives yeah. and they expect you to do something with that gift. Yeah. They expect you to step up for it and then to pass it on in as good a shape or better 
to the generation that comes after you. And so that that's part of what this book was done, was for, was to remember the good news stories out there and to pass that good news forward. Yeah. It's, I think I said it to you, and I know we got to wrap this one up in a couple minutes, but I remember saying it to, to Dale one time, the Delta Force guy, because I get on here and I just, you know, I, I'm always, get, like I told you, nauseatingly patriotic, which is Elon Musk's line. I'm nauseatingly patriotic. But I always get on here and I always get so passionate about it. And I think Joe Teddy at Green Parade said, remember he says, Tom, he's like, thank you for coming on here and like just, you know, yelling like a crazy person. But he's like, thank you, man. He's like, I know a lot of your generation isn't like that. And I do catch a lot of flack. I would say that I've, I would say since 2016, I, I would say I've probably lost contact with the, with over 95% of like friends I've had throughout my life because, you know, but hey, you know, hey, what a beautiful thing that we have the freedom to not be friends again. But the point being is in the way I always look at it is I just think of like my uncle Rich on D-Day or my uncle Tim in Vietnam. I just think like they did all of that. I'm like, the very least I can do is open up my $2,000 laptop in an air-conditioned home with a clean-pressed polo, glasses, and a smartphone, which I did nothing to earn any of this. The very least I can do is get up here and be like, hey, they're trying to censor speech. Like, stop that. Screw you. Stop that. You're a dirty communist. Oh, well, you know, okay, now now you can't get laid because, hey, all the girls think you're a dirty, uh, you're a white supremacist. I'm like... You know what? It's there's a very small price to pay, and that's what I think. And I know it sounds funny and it sounds well, immature, you, but I, it's. I think honestly, I think I think that you are doing a great service by taking your microphone and bringing to it those who do appreciate those values. And I will also add that I think that it's interesting as you get older. I think you find that people come back around to core truths. Absolutely. Absolutely. Their life teaches them those truths. You don't have to teach them. Their life teaches them. And so, you know, some of my friends that were all for, you know, uh, more government, you know, have come around as they've gotten older to saying, you know, I'm a little tired of all these taxes being paid for things that I don't want done. Yeah. Uh, maybe lower taxes make sense. You know, yeah. maybe maybe a sense of commitment to these core values in our Bill of Rights uh, makes sense. Yeah. And and I think what you will find, I suspect, over time is that people will gravitate to you if you keep your show headed in this direction. Because I, I don't think the, the timeless sort of, we talked a little about natural law the last time. Yeah. I don't think most of these timeless values change at all, generation yeah. to generation. It's just we who change. Thousands it's just of years. Yeah. Yeah. Keep in and bad information. Yeah. And, and, you know, a thousand years from now, kids born in that time frame will still have a longing for free speech. For natural law, yeah. it's yeah, and, and all those things. And so I think our job is to keep them alive. You know, yes. I, I, I'm, I'm reminded of Edmund Burke, uh, who obviously was not American, but he was a he was a Britisher who supported our revolution, which is quite interesting in, in its own right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he, he said all it takes for evil to prevail is for good, good people to, to do, do nothing. nothing. Yeah. And, uh, and he was very aware that we have an intergenerational obligation. Yes. Um, it crosscuts everything. Yeah, it's it's that that's exactly what it is, and it's I found that in my short life. I'm 30 years old. I grew up super like conservative, super right wing. To getting older and being like, screw this, like it needs to all be love and beauty, and going through that for several years, and then kind of coming around after from like 18 to 26 after going like militant far left hippie to kind of coming around to be like that didn't work 
they had good intentions, but hey, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I was, I've kind of come back around to 22 year old me would look at me and be like, screw that square. Hairs combed over, he's in front of an American flag. And now I'm just like, hey, you know what? I, I implemented all these things back into my life a couple of years ago, and I'm happier than I have been in a decade. And it's, but I you know, think there's nothing, I think there's nothing that makes you sleep better than gratitude. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. If you can help others and be grateful for what they've done for you, you you go to sleep content in the sense that you you know what you know what your bearing is. You know what the compass rose, you know, where where you're headed. And I you know, again I I, I, I say Reagan, but you know, here's a guy who, gosh, you know, go back and read his speeches or listen to his speeches. Listen to the one at the Berlin Wall or listen to the one and I know you've done this. But listen to the one at Normandy as celebrating the fortieth. You know, it's um Peace through strength. He, he got it spot on. Oh yeah, his 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 peace through strength speeches. Those give me goosebumps. Those are those are those are all. And then, hey hey, don't you don't even need to choose a Republican because here we are clearly both right right wing individuals. Go choose a JFK. Go get his yeah, speeches. Right. We will that's you know right. we will defend freedom or we defend democracy against any foe. We'll fight any battle you know or even just even just space race. It's not one we are willing to postpone. Right. Is one we are willing to accept. There is that exceptionalism that it's, and I always point this out, is like, there's a lot wrong with this country. I'm not someone that blindly thinks it's perfect. I think it is by by far the least worst evil in the history of mankind. I think there's a lot wrong. I think we've done a lot of bad. There's been a lot of, there's been one too many civilian deaths. But if there's going to be a hegemon, if there's going to be a superpower, damn, I'd rather have it be us. You know, we, you know, the goal, the goal is always before us to be better. Yeah. Uh, the founders didn't think we were perfect. No. Uh, they knew quite well that we were not. Yeah. Uh, but the point is to allow the freedom uh, to to the individual. And again, it's very important. We're not we're not about identity groups. And no. We're not about we're not about left, right, uh, black, white. We're about individualism. Yes. And that's what we were founded to support was individualism. All of those. I mean, go back and just take a quick glance at John Locke's second treatise mm-hmm. or any of the any of the books that inspired the founders. And they did. Uh, they're all about before they wrote their own books. They, yeah. They're all about the idea that the individual is really the last repository of freedom. And yeah. and and that's how we keep government limited. Yeah, is by was, honoring that freedom. I was. I, I know we're going over. I got to wrap this one up because we both have we both have appointments. Yeah. But is um, give me two more minutes. And uh, but there's one thing I've been thinking a lot about is like, man, if there's one thing that 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 Trump has done, <laughs> I think of I think of my we we'll love them dearly, but my my super liberal friends who have just forever you know screeching against guns, turn them into the government. Like I owned a pistol in college, and you're evil. And I just think now all these friends I have that have been doing marches for the last four years, we got to resist Trump, resist Hitler. I always just kind of like float the idea to him. I'm like, man, you should definitely buy some guns. Like you don't want to be handing them over to Hitler in office. Right. And there's just this subtle, like, you're right. We should own guns. I'm like, exactly. You know, it's interesting just on that point, And then we can, yeah, we can we'll wrap, wrap this one up. Yeah. You know, um, Mahatma Gandhi, mm-hmm. the ultimate man, man of peace, yeah. uh, you know, uh, fighting for India's independence, one of his uh, quotable quotes uh, had to do with condemning the British for taking away the guns of the average Indians. Yeah. Um, and and you can find it 
I mean, it's it's in the texts that are written about him, and it's uh, it's fascinating because ultimately, you know, the protection we have—that's why the Second Second Amendment was there, and they would never have gotten the Constitution passed were it not for those amendments being attached. Absolutely. So, anyway, I appreciate your your promotion of the book, and Absolutely. Eagles and Evergreen is a very readable book. It's very readable. It's very PG by Robert Charles. It'll be in the description, the top comment, and the thumbnail, and they're all roughly separated vignettes so it's not something you got to read down you got to commit to it you can grab a chapter and just come back to it the next week grab another chapter it's a very it's a very readable book and it'll be in the description in the top comment very affordable (laughs) very readable very pg very friendly mr (laughs) robert charles thank you so much sir and um, i will text you after this we're going going to do a third one because i enjoy talking to you Perfect. I appreciate everything you do. Keep at it. Thank you, sir. You as well. God bless America. God bless everybody. Love each other. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. You too. Bye-bye. Peace.